And my text is Hebrews 12, verse 3. Two words. Consider him. Hebrews 12, verse 3. Consider him. Now, you know the context is of the heroes of the faith. And we're told to consider them. And it would do us a power of good, wouldn't it? We'd profit if we considered those heroes of the faith. Think of Abraham. Think of Noah, a man of faith who obeyed God. Remember, he built the ark, it hadn't rained. A man of faith, he obeyed God. If we thought about him, it would be a, a tremendous benefit to us. Think of Abraham, a pattern of faith. Remember, is 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 submitting to to Isaac to to giving Isaac as a sacrifice. Remember Moses, a life of godly choices. Or we could think of Joseph obeying God. He trusted his word, didn't he? Rahab, a woman of distinctive faith. Jonah, the reluctant missionary, and then Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, so on, so on, many others. So considering these and the, and the lives of God's people down the running centuries, it would be of much profit to us, wouldn't it? But then we come to my verse. Consider him. And that's what I want to do this morning. We can't do anything better, can we? Consider him. Who's him? The Lord Jesus Christ. And we consider him under four headings. I don't know how far we get. I don't know how far we'll go, but we'll see. The headings are these. Consider who he is. Consider what he's done. Consider what he's doing, and consider what he's going to do. So, consider who he is. Consider what he did. Consider what he's going to do and consider and consider sorry what he's doing now and consider what he's going to do. So let's consider who he is. And the Bible teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal and complete deity. You know what I'm going to turn? John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the word was God. Now, there are three statements there, and they appear to be contradictory, but they perfectly fit together, and they explain the deity of Jesus Christ. And for those who are interested, the verb used in the verse is a continuous action one, right? Let's look at the statement. Statement one. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning... At the time of the beginning, already was and continued to be the Word, the Logos, the expression of who, of who God is, the ultimate reality of what is. In other words, at the time of the beginning, Jesus Christ was. First statement. Second statement. The Word was with God. Now, <laughs> the word translated there means this. Do you know the word juxtaposition? Facing each other, face to face. And um, 
So that word, the word was with God, that separates the word from God. So he was face to face with God. And then the final statement, statement three is, the word was God. You see, three amazing statements. He's eternally God at the time of the beginning. He already was, and he continues to be. He continues to be God. He was with God, which uh, distinguishes him from God. He was distinct from God, and he was God. So Jesus Christ is complete deity. And the picture we have here is a wonderful picture. It's a view of the relationship of God the Father with the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were face to face, they're looking at each other. And, and the Father looks into the Son's face with absolute delight. And the son looks into the father's face, face and, and he thinks the same. And, and it's a picture of the father and son going out to each other. Remember Colossians 2 verse 9, For in him dwells all the fullness of, of the Godhead bodily. So consider who he is. He's the eternal son of of God. Just to cap it all, let me remind you of the words of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All power in heaven. All authority. God alone has authority in heaven. So, the Lord Jesus Christ is complete deity. So we've considered who he is. We now consider what he did. Back to John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and so on. And then down to verse 14. The word became flesh. Consider what he did. The word became flesh. Fully God, he became flesh at the incarnation. Carnos is flesh, isn't it? He put on flesh. So he's the revealed, manifested Son of God. Remember Galatians 4, 4? But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. So God sent forth his son. Remember John 3.16, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Um, so, sorry, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God sent forth his love, his son, and he gave his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that's illustrated by Abraham, isn't it? Taking Isaac 
to be sacrificed. Remember Galatians 22, verse 2. Now take thy son, your only son Isaac, your only son Isaac, who you love. So God gave. Then God spared him not. Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes are we healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God spared him not. He was forsaken. 2 Corinthians 5.21 My favourite verse in the whole Bible. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And you remember Luke 27.46 The cry of dereliction My God, my God Why have you forsaken me? God spared him not. So God sent him. God gave him. God spared him not. And then in Acts 2.23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Isaac was spared, wasn't he? Christ was not. God delivered him up. Now the question is, why did he do all this? <laughs> why did God do all this? Well, it's for this reason, because outside of Christ, you and I are children of wrath. We're shapen in iniquity. We're dead in trespasses and sins. We're in darkness. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to prevent them from seeing the light of the, of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. Um, so <coughs> that's why he, he came. Consider what he did. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He was delivered. He, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, to whom we have redemption, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. So, so he's God's promised, provided, perfect, paschal lamb. Sinners, like you and I, become saints. Rebels become royalty. <laughs> Prisoners become free men. My chains fell off. And so on. You know that, don't you? Those who are not a people become the people of God. Let me ask you. A friend of mine in Bertha used this expression many times, and I'll bring it to you. Are you on the premises, but not on the promises? Think of that now. Are you on the premises this morning? but not on the, on the promises. So we've considered who he is. We've considered uh, what he did. And now we consider what he's doing now. Campbell Morgan, who was the pastor before Dr. Lloyd-Jones in, 
<coughs> in um, Westminster Chapel, he, 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 he said this expression, the Christ of the four points. The virgin birth, virtuous life, victorious resurrection, and I've forgotten the other one. But they've. Pardon? Death. Death. Yes, that's right. <laughs> okay, so you see, Christ was crucified, he was buried, he was resurrected, and he's now ascended. And in his ascension, the Christians thought, oh, he's left us. Isn't it? As they thought, oh, we're in a mess. He left us? What's going to happen now? We're in a terrible mess. Far from leaving them in the lurch, Jesus was establishing a fuller and more permanent relationship in which two things are gloriously true. First, you know, in the latter verses of the, of the Gospels, words closely associated with the record of the ascension are these. Lo, I am with you always. Now, what does that mean? It means what it says. Jesus was telling them, I'm not staying with you physically. I'm not staying with you visibly. But the fact remains, lo, I am with you always. And you can imagine the disciples asking questions. But where exactly will you be? The the Bible teaches that he's at the right hand of God the Father. Christ has ascended. He's seated at at the right hand of the majesty on high with God the Father. So if he's How can he be here with us and there with God? If he's there with God, then in which sense is he here with us? If he's here with us, then in what sense is he in heaven? Is he with God? Let me give you a couple of answers. The first one is this. The ascension speaks first of the heavenly priesthood of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is our priest. He's the one who enters into the presence of God and acts on the behalf of his people. You know the the paraphrase? And I'll read some verses from Hebrews a bit later, but not at the moment. You know the paraphrase? He pleads our case at at God's right hand, omnipotent to save Listen, as a Christian, if you feel that no one understands you, you're wrong. All other human friends may fail, but there's Jesus. If you ever feel that there's no one prepared to stay by you or to take your side and to speak on your behalf, you're wrong. There's Jesus Christ, your great high priest, 
he's the one who not only understands you, but he also feels with you. And you know, sometimes when those great waves of feeling come over you, the Lord Jesus Christ shares and feels it with you. All of it. And when your whole being, your whole inner being, seems to be overwhelmed and crushed, and and tears seem to be squeezed out of your eyes, he's weeping with you. He stands in the presence of God, saying, Father Almighty, remember that one. Look down upon that one. And so the ascended Lord Jesus Christ is in the presence of God on our behalf. You know that, you know that lovely verse in Hebrews 12, in Hebrews 10, 12, and 13. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. So the Lord Jesus Christ is sat down, having finished the work. He's sat down at the right hand of God the Father, and he intercedes for each of us. You know, you move when someone says, I've been praying every day for you. Isn't it lovely, isn't it? I know a couple of people who, who, who tell me that. Isn't that wonderful? To have some people, and, 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 and they do it. Don't just say it and then forget. <laughs> some of my friends I know who pray for me every day. That's wonderful, isn't it? And, and it moves you. But Christ's intercession far exceeds that. Because, you know, in the world of eternity, there's no time, is there? There are no days. There's no past. There's no present. There's no future. And there we have one who says to us, he's saying to us, my child, did you know that all the time, unbroken, unerringly, never misdirected, never changing, I speak on your behalf at the throne of God's power and God's grace. He pleads at God's right hand, omnipotent to save. This Lord Jesus is ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He's our advocate in the presence of God. And he has many functions, but this is an important one. Let me bring this to you to encourage you. He takes our prayers, poor, stumbling, pathetic as they are, and he presents them in his own name, as his own. That's amazing, isn't it? Think of that. He presents them in his own name, as his own. He presents them to the Father, and they're accepted for Jesus' sake. You know, when you come to the end of the day, you know, and you come to the end of your prayers tonight, think of this, imagine this. Imagine the voice of the Father Almighty from the throne saying, whose prayer is this? Who presents this petition? And the voice that answers, 
is the voice of Jesus, your great high priest. So he's in heaven interceding for us. But on the other hand, the second thing that the ascension and the seating of Christ at God's right hand speaks of is the giving of the Holy Spirit. Remember in John 7, 39, the Holy Spirit was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. But now he's ascended into the glory of the Father and in faithfulness to the promise to the glorified Son, the Father, through the Son, sends the Holy Spirit down to, to the believing men and women who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the word of God. Acts 1 verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Acts 1 verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Acts 2.23, Therefore being exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. And so the power of the Holy Spirit, with all the attributes of the, the mighty God of eternity, comes down. And he comes down not only to touch us, and to hold us, but he indwells the lives of believers. Isn't that amazing? The Spirit of God dwells within you if you're a Christian. Isn't that wonderful? And um, he's dwelling in, the, in your life as a believer, man or woman, and he's there to set you afire with the life of God. That's the purpose in him being there. And he's there to send us out, as one man has said, like blazing spiritual coals to set the whole world ablaze. Now that's the significance of the ascension. The Lord Jesus Christ finished his work, entered into the presence of the Father, by the way, not for himself, but for you and for me, who believe in his name. The promise of the Holy Spirit's life and power, it's that power that's sent down to us who causes you and me to be born again of the very life of God. Have you been born again? You must be born again. It's not, oh, perhaps, uh, not sure. You must be born again. God grant that the Holy Spirit might accompany the word of God as it's preached to you or as you speak to somebody or as you pray or wherever you are. Um. <coughs> and it's the spirit of life and power, isn't it? This spirit is sent down to us. And it's that spirit that causes us to be born again of the very life of God. You and I are regenerated, aren't we? We're born again. If you're a Christian, you've been born again by the Holy Spirit. But not only that, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, isn't he? And it's he who leads us into the truth. He's the spirit of power. God the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit leads us on. He teaches us. 
and transforms us in the salvation. So that's what Jesus did when he ascended into heaven. And when you listen to the gospel being preached, when you hear the word of God being taught to us, when we become aware of our hunger for a saviour, when you and I open our hearts and we receive Christ as our saviour, it's at that very moment that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. You've heard the gospel many times from this pulpit. Have you become aware of your hunger for a saviour? Have you become aware of your hunger for a saviour? And have you opened your heart to receive Christ as your saviour? And in that very moment, the gift of the Holy Spirit is sent down from heaven. And the Holy Spirit becomes your guide, your comforter, your teacher, and your companion. If you're a Christian, wherever you are, you may be in a mess at the moment, maybe in a terrible situation. If you're a Christian, wherever you are, Jesus is there. He's your life, isn't he? And at the same time, in the sovereignty of his glory, and in the limitlessness of his power, he's pleading your cause every moment in God's presence. And and before you're aware of the need, he's already spotted it, spoken it, in the presence of God. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is in your heart to plead God's cause and work it out there. And at the same time, Jesus is in heaven to plead your cause at God's right hand, omnipotent to save and help. Listen to these verses from Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. But we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he's also able to save to the uttermost, uttermost those who come to God through him, since he ever lives to make intercession for them. So we've considered who he is, considered what he did, we considered what he's doing now, and finally we consider what he's going to do. Why consider the Lord Jesus Christ? This is a vital reason, because of the coming judgment day. After the resurrection, will follow the great judgment day. Time restrains me from reading the verses, but I'll just make the points. You know, there are three great days connected with our race. The day of creation, the day of redemption, and the day of judgment. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ who is the creator. He's the redeemer. And he's the judge. So consider him. 
the Creator. Consider Him your Redeemer. Consider Him the Judge. Or on that last great judgment day, there'll be a great separation. I say this out of love. It's, it's, I'm not gloating in this at all. I'm telling you what the Bible says, okay? I mean, I wish there wasn't a hell. But there is. And you need to be told that. The Bible is the truth of God, isn't it? Listen. There'll be a great separation on that great day. The elect will be separated from the non-elect. The converted from the unconverted. Believers from unbelievers. The sheep from the goats. And he will separate the left from the right. Now think of that day for the unbeliever. The Lord, God God the Father will judge not directly, but through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ will, will preside at this highest court. There'll be no ombudsman. <laughs> Nothing like that. Christ will preside at this highest court. And um, let's do this verse. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now, how will you stand at the opening of the books? I won't quote the verses, but you know them probably. The book of creation. Romans 1, God says, man said, no God. And all these things go wrong then, don't they? But how will you stand when the book, what do you think about creation? Do you believe God is a creator? How do you stand when the book of creation is opened? How do you stand when the book of the law is opened? Surely you'll say guilty. How do you stand when the book of your sins is opened? And how will you stand when the book of the gospel will be opened? John 12, 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. And finally, what about the book of life? Revelation 20, verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I'll never forget visiting. I might have told you this before, but it's impressed upon my mind. I visited, (laughs) some of you might know him, David John Williams and his wife, Rose Williams, they were in the late 80s. And Mrs. Williams was deep in Alzheimer's. And her daughter was looking after them. And I knocked the door, I wanted to come and see them. And she said, come on in. And I went in. And, and they were both singing, when the roll is called up yonder. God, him, do you? Glorious, isn't it? When the roll is called up yonder. You know, and so on. Yeah. It's lovely, isn't it? Fabulous, him. They were both singing it. Mrs. Williams, they were deep in Alzheimer's. They stopped singing it. I came in, I sat. <laughs> she said to her husband, David John, his name was here, David John, you'll be there, won't you? And he said, yes. <laughs> she turned to Rhoda, her daughter, she said, you'll be there, won't you? She said, yes. She turned to me and said, now what about you? 
<laughs> and she was deep in Alzheimer's. And I've been asked that question. She, she just wasn't with it at all then. So let me ask you, when the road is called up yonder, will you be there? And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. How will you stand at the opening of the books? No one will be able to withstand that day when the road is called up yonder. If you have rejected, one man has said, the overtures of the gospel, you'll stand before this powerful and all-wise judge in your sin. And you'll be justly condemned. Don't go down that road. Don't go that way. You don't need to. What about the godly on that day? No condemnation. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The Savior of Calvary, the one who saved me so that I might not come into condemnation, the advocate whose sacrifice of himself turns justice to mercy. So have you considered your position before God? God has made a glorious provision for the saints, hasn't he? Those who've turned from their sins and repented and fled to Jesus Christ, trusting in him to save them from the wrath to come. Heaven, that's the provision God has made for you. But God has also made another provision for, the, for those who rejected the gospel of, of his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ, hell. And that's a place of eternal torment. But this is a day of grace. The Lord Jesus Christ is available. He's still available. He makes himself available wherever his people are. He says, we're two or three gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst. So he's here this morning. He's available. He's available in his gospel. He's available where his people meet to worship him. He's available in his word. He's available when you call upon him in prayer. Jesus, if you're a Christian, Jesus is in your heart to plead God's case and work it out there. At the same time, Jesus is in heaven to plead your case at God's right hand. So this is a Jesus you can trust. What's to prevent you from fleeing to the only saviour? As Pilgrim said, flee from the wrath to come. Why not? What have you got to lose? Your sin. <laughs> Flee from the wrath to come. Remember, he, he got to the wicked, wicked gate and he looked up and he saw the cross. And he had this heavy burden on his back. And he looked up and the burden, he looked at the cross in believing faith, having repented of his sin. And the burden rolled off his back into the sepulchre. He knew the forgiveness of sins.
what's to stop you? Fleeing from the wrath to come? What's to, what's, to, what's to stop you from turning your eyes upon Jesus, looking full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is a Jesus you can trust. So we've considered who he is, what he did, what he's doing now, what he's going to do. So what should you do in the light of all this? Simply this. Bow the knee in humility and thanks and acknowledge him as your saviour, lord and king. If you've not done so, if you've not done so, God give you the grace to do it now. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. God give you the grace so to do. Amen. We sing our final hymn, one, four, three, in Christian hymns. Oh, the, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. It's a wonderful hymn. Let's stand to sing that.
And now we pray. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the sweet abiding fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain with you all now and forevermore. Amen.